excuse me, is that a Leica? Hey everybody, welcome to Leica Street Photographer Collective. I'm Ricky, and today's guest is Knox Birdie. So once again, I want to thank you for taking your time out of the day to be a guest and record this podcast for me and the listeners. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself, to tell the world a little about yourself, where you're from, where you live, what you do, anything you'd like us to know. Uh, my name's Knox Birdie. I'm, I'm from Sydney, Australia. Yeah, I'm originally from, uh, I've been here in Australia now for about almost 15 years, uh, but I, I sort of made my way around the world before that. Lived in London for quite a few years, um, lived in the Middle East for a while, lived in, in Malaysia, and then finally ended up here in, in Australia. Um, I'm a photographer, but I'm also a teacher, and um, and it's really the two two sort of things that I do. Okay. So you, you lived in London. Is that how you originally originally met Ben? No, myself and I, I've only known Ben for a couple of years. So Ben and myself met um, through teaching. And so I've only met him here in Australia. I know he did spend time in London, but I, I was at a very different time to me. Okay. Interesting. So how did you like London when you were there? Um, I absolutely love London. And, you know, I was in London at the right time. I, I left I left Canada straight after university, and I, I, I started my first teaching gig in, in London. Um, Fortune's pretty tough schools for quite a few years, which was, was in, really interesting. Um, you know, it was, you know, mid-2000s. You know, the world was a very different place in those days and it was all pretty open and pretty free and um it, it was great it was it was such a great city to, to to live and work in um i don't know i think the best thing for me about london was just there's always something to do you know there's something to see there's something to do just get out it was it was a blast i absolutely love it i definitely know what you mean i i lived in england a few miles north so it was like I guess you could say an hour. It was like an hour north. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard of Barry St. Emmons. No. Okay. Well, it was a small little town. I don't blame you for not knowing it. Uh, but yeah, I would travel down to London uh, as much as I could. And I just absolutely loved making photos out there in Soho and all everywhere in central London. So. Well, well, what were you doing in London? Were you working at? Yes. So I'm in the Air Force and I was working in RAF Mildenhall. Okay. So. Yeah, I got to travel around Europe quite a few. Uh, it was it was fun. I, I enjoyed England altogether. Um, London, Cambridge, uh, Liverpool, I would have to say, are my three favorite cities. I went to a lot more, but uh, just those are top three, I would say. Um, great, great place to shoot. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind me asking, uh, when did you begin making photos? Um, I wish I had cameras around me, but I, I, it, was, it was post-London. So I, I was in London in my mid-20s, and then I, I got a gig at a school in, in a place called Ras al-Khaimah. Okay. Ras al-Khaimah is an hour north of, of Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. And, uh, um, and I went home for the summer uh, back to Canada, and I'd always had this old film camera kicking around. Uh, at my parents' house, and 
for some reason, I just decided to throw up my bag with me and brought it back uh, uh, to the Middle East. And the beauty of of living in the Middle East was I had time, I had space, I you know everything was pretty cheap. And uh, and throughout this town that I was living in, they had all the you know the the original one hour photo shots okay. where you could go in and and, and buy film and uh, and then get it developed in an hour and um, and it was dirt cheap and so you know for a couple of years I was there and I was shooting as much film as I possibly could and I could go and get it developed at night and uh, pop in an hour later go and eat dinner an hour later get my film back and uh, and be ready to go and uh, yeah it was a pretty good experience at. What um, style of photography did you begin making? Yeah, probably like most people, when you first start shooting, you shoot you shoot literally everything. Um, and it, it, I'd say it's probably, it was probably closer to to more documentary style. I was I was sort of going after. I was pretty heavily influenced by travel and travel shows and National Geographic and. And I'm living in this country that kind of looks like you're living in CNN. So I, I just had this, uh, you know, this thing where I thought I'd go and, and kind of shoot that sort of stuff. So I was, I was shooting people, um, a lot of people. I was walking around the markets, and the fish markets, and just shooting as much as I could. Some of it was good, some of it was rubbish. It was a lot of potluck, but um, yeah, I shot just about anything as as most people do when they start shooting, I suppose. Okay. So are you still, cause I'm following your Instagram, uh, kind of recently and you have some really, uh, interesting work, which I, I want to get into a little later, but, um, have you been shooting film only the entire time you've been a photographer? Yeah. You know, I, 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 I started shooting film and it was in that era where digital cameras were just starting to come about. And, um, I'll be completely honest. I just didn't have the money to buy anything that was somewhat decent in those days. And, uh, just probably looking back in hindsight, is a good thing because it sort of forced me to learn on a, on a film camera and shoot lots of film and the quality of what I was shooting. Even when I look at it now, it's not too bad because it was all shot on film Yeah, and, um, and it's still usable. And, uh, and then, you know, I just, I just never converted. So when everybody sort of went digital and, and everybody's moving in that sort of direction, I just kept shooting film. And there was an era, I'd say probably between 10 and 15 years ago where it, it actually looked like film was really going to die out in those days mm-hmm. and everything went dirt cheap and you could buy film cameras for nothing or people would just give them to you. Um, but the other side of it was it was pretty hard to get your hands on film for a while. Film was kind of dying out as well. And, and here in Australia, getting certain developers was pretty difficult. And so it was a different time. And, and now all of a sudden it's sort of like, you know, it's come back and it's, right. it's become sort of a hipster sort of thing. There's lots of people shooting it and um, there's lots of people shooting it professionally still and now as well. So it's, uh, you know, it's a good thing. It's good to see film kind of on the rise. I suppose the bad side of that is, that's I look awesome. at some of these film cameras and think, Christ, I should have bought, you know, 20 of those 10 years ago because they were nothing at that time. Oh, yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. I started digital and uh, I promised myself I was never interested in film. Uh, lo and behold, later in the future, I have more film cameras than I do digital now. So um, I have heard stories. I have never seen it, uh, but 
you could get Leica M bodies for like a couple hundred dollars. Uh, same with a lot of the more elite, you know, the elite cameras out there in the market. You can just get them for a couple hundred dollars. Now, film cameras are costing more than digital. And it's kind of insane. Uh, but hey, it is what it is. Like you said, the hipsters and YouTube, I have to thank for that. Film is ridiculously expensive now, more so than when I, when I began. Uh, but I think the cost of film is going to, and this is just a little hypothesis for me, but I think it's going to sway a lot of people away from film now because all the people I hear getting into film, all they say is, oh, film's too expensive. I can't, I can't afford it. So hopefully the prices of film go back down. And a couple years ago when I did start shooting film, I stocked up maybe... 150 rolls of film, which I'm still trying to shoot today. So uh, I'm dwindling down, and I don't want to buy no more until I have to. So I do know what you're you're referring to when talking about the cost of film. Well, I'll tell you, story. you know, when I when I first got here to Australia, I used to be able to pick up a roll of Tri-X five bucks, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and and it would be, you know, I, I thought six ninety five for a roll of Tri-X was like, you know, I'm I'm spending a lot of money on this, but I knew where I could get it for five bucks, and I just go buy a couple of triax every day and shoot them and it was like nothing and um you know you look back at that now and you think as you're spending you know you, you got to search around for it but it's not unheard of to see a roll of triax for 21.95 or something like that and you think that's yeah it is expensive it's it's crazy you're shooting lots of film yeah, I, I got into film when portra 400 was about ten dollars a roll and now it's close to 22 and it's quite a jump in quite a short time but eh, we're not here to talk about film prices or we can if you like to but uh, i like to get more into the photography part so i'm curious uh, i would like you to explain a lot because like i said i've I've been recently following your instagram and you've been doing a lot of these cool projects in the dark room um i've never been in Mm -hmm. the dark room that way Uh, so if you could explain the process in which you're doing in there um me and a lot of my followers and your followers will probably be interested to hear um, it, 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 if you haven't worked in a darkroom before, it's, it's, it's basically the other side of, of developing film. And so if you are probably the first step to working in a darkroom is, is if you're, if you're shooting black and white film and, um, you think, you know what, I'm going to develop this at home. Anybody could develop black and white film at home. You get a change bag, you can do it in your, you know, in your bathroom. It's, it's, it's not overly challenging to do. You can teach yourself off YouTube videos how to do that pretty quickly. Um, but then the darkroom side of it is is you know making prints and and you know it's the kind of reversal process of using using paper and um, using the larger to start creating prints from that film. Uh, the beauty of of doing that, I think, is that you have complete creative control of the whole process. So you choose the film and from the time you put the film in the camera, how you expose it, how you develop it, and then how you print it, it's all part of one process. And, you know, in time, what you start thinking is start to finish. So you're thinking not in terms of what the files are going to look like on a computer, but you're thinking in terms of what's the end product in a print going to look like. And I think seeing prints, visually seeing something physical in front of you is learn a lot from them you learn because you you spend time with them and then you analyze them and 
And sometimes things work and enlarge and they don't. So you start trying to figure out why things work and don't work. So it, it, I think it has a big impact on how you shoot. Um, setting up a dark room is not overly difficult. Uh, the, the biggest thing you need sort of is obviously a dark space and, and a water supply, but enlargers are still cheap. And I, I, I predict they're going to go the way of the film cameras that we've talked about before because I see them going up in price. But you can still buy some bloody good enlargers for not a lot of money. Um, so if you did want to set up a dark room, like some of the equipment that you can buy for next to nothing is like, you know, top-notch quality. It'll be better than the camera you probably should not. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I have developed my own film, color and black and white, uh, using the change <coughs> process in which you mentioned. Uh, but I've never had uh, an actual proper darkroom, so I, I don't have the the capabilities just because of where I live and I'm, I'm constantly moving. So I wouldn't know where to start as far as um, building one. But that would probably probably be the last step of photography that I'll ever get into. Again, I said I would never shoot film, shooting film, um, and I promised myself. Developing film in like or on the paper in the dark room would probably be later on in my life, but uh, yeah. You know there is. Yeah, I'd recommend it to anyone. You know, it's um, people often talk about the first time they've gone into a dark room and the first time you see a, a an actual photo come up on paper, and um, and it's still oddly enough, it's still there's a bit of magic to it still for me. You know, I. I develop and you sit there and you watch this image appear and it, it still feels pretty amazing and um and there's something about it where there is a quality when you scan film has a certain look to it when you make print in a dark room and you can kind of see that was what it was intended to be used for and you see the quality of the print pop up mm-hmm. there's a bit of a wow factor to it as well do you remember that feeling you had when you seen your first image appear on the paper? Uh, most people that I've watched on YouTube that have done it, they say it's an indescribable feeling. Do you remember yours? Uh, yeah, I've, I've learned it a few times. I, I, I learned it a little bit in high school, but I wasn't really paying attention to it in those days. But I think the other thing I should say is that I'm a chemistry teacher, and I've got a, a background in chemistry, so that sort of helps in the darkroom as well. Um, but in, in university, we had darkroom courses, and we could learn darkroom chemistry. And so I can remember going into that, that darkroom in university, and this was before I was shooting. Mm-hmm. But I still remember that feeling of the photo coming up, and it was always in the back of my mind that, you know, that was, that was pretty cool. And then when I got here to Australia, one of the first things that I did was I took a darkroom course at um, the Australian Centre for Photography, which is, unfortunately, it's now shut. And it was a great, great resource and great place, and I'm sure many Australian photographers learned from that place. Uh, but they had, a, they had a great dark darkroom that was like a community darkroom, and you'd, you'd go in there, and I, I can remember doing the darkroom course there and shooting a roll of film and doing the first project and then developing those. And that that's pretty vivid in my mind, spending time and, and doing that. I was there every day working on that stuff. Okay. So film is going to stay with you for quite some time. Do you see yourself uh, ever facing... <coughs> film out of your workflow or are you just going to stick with it to the very end? Well, I, 
you know, I, I think you may be aware of this, that I, I used the Q2 monochrome recently. Uh, I have not been aware, but we are now. Um, so one of the things, just in the last year and a half, I was asked by Leica Australia to, um, to be the ambassador for the Q2 monochrome launch mm-hmm. um, in Australia. And so I did a project with them where I had to shoot X amount of shots, and then we created a video and, um, and went along with the, the release of that, that camera. And so while I was working on that project, I had the opportunity to shoot the, the M10 monochrome um, with 35 Sumochrome on it. And, uh, and I also shot the Q2 color, Q2. Mm-hmm. And then I have a Q2 monochrome that I, I use now. And, um, and to be honest, I'm using it more and more. The, the monochrome, those like the monochromes, they're, they're pretty interesting cameras and the files that come out of them are, I find pretty fascinating. Uh, I like both of them, the M10 and the Q2 Mono. I think they were both very different cameras in a lot of respects. The you know the M10 felt more like my old film cameras, and the, the Q2 feels a bit more modern. But um, but the files are recognizable to people who shoot film because when you download them onto the computer, they look somewhat similar to scan film and have a similar sort of grayscale to scan film. And so working with them feels quite natural to me. And so, yeah, I've used the Q2 monochrome quite a bit. It's an interesting, interesting little camera. I quite like it. Okay. I shoot with the M10 monochrome. Um, and quite recently I was considering purchasing a Q2, um, but I'm the type of person where like I'll buy something and I'm afraid that I, I won't use it. So that was the only reason why I didn't. So I decided to get uh, an MP instead. So I got another film okay. Micah. For some reason, I just, <laughs> I feel really comfortable with M bodies, right? And uh, just playing with the Q2 in the store, the Q2M in the store, I, I really, really wanted it, but I could not see myself using that more than my M10M. So that was the only reason why I haven't purchased the Q2M yet i'm sure it'll come eventually but i'm trying to just stay with m bodies right now but i say all of that to ask you this question is for you since you said it feels kind of like shooting a film camera what's the biggest difference in shooting the q2 versus the m body the m10m um well the it's a good question oddly enough you know exactly what you're describing there the Q2 is the camera I throw around my neck when I leave the house because it's fast. It's really, really fast. Um, and the quality from the, the 28mm lens is, is unbelievable. And, um, and so I find because it's a camera that, that shoots very quickly, when I'm just throwing something around my neck, leaving the house, running up to the shops, I tend to throw that one mm-hmm. around my neck simply because you can get the shot off pretty quickly. Where I found the M10 is it felt more natural to me because I've always shot on film and it just felt like a digital film body to me in a lot of respects. And it's, it makes you think in a certain way and, and it works in a very similar way. The way you focus is very similar. Um, and so it, it's a different, it's a different, it was a different experience if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, both, you know, they're kind of like horses for courses, right? Like they both have a, a certain use. Um, 
in different situations, I think one might be better than the other. Depends on how you shoot, I suppose. Okay. So, just now, this is just a personal question. Would you prefer more manual focus or the autofocus? Um, if, it, it depends, I suppose it depends on what I'm shooting, what stop you're shooting at. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to, if I'm shooting on the street, I would almost always be zone focusing. Okay. Um, it'd be very rare that I'm not zone focusing, but if I'm in a tight spot and I'm shooting portraits and it's low light, having that autofocus, I don't mind it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those kind of hardcore guys that are like, you know, film till I die and film cameras and mm-hmm. manual this and that. Like if the technology's there and it works, I'm going to use it um, to get the shot. And so, you know, in low light situations where you're shooting on a, a low F stop, having that, uh, having that autofocus is actually a really nice thing on, on the, on the queue. And I think it's, you know, it's so fast that, that's what I'm sort of describing where it's, you know, when you're just taking snapshots very quickly, it's pretty good to have that actually. Okay. Well, now you're kind of uh, tempting me to go get the Q2M. Uh, might, <laughs> yeah. might be a little while because I still want to have fun with my M's. But uh, I did catch you say you are a Leica ambassador. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So I was I was chosen to be the, by Leica, to be the, the Q2 um uh, Q2 monochrome ambassador for the launch in, in Australia. Okay. Now, many people aspire to be camera brand ambassadors. Uh, what, what, I'm trying to see how to phrase it, but how did you prepare yourself to be approached that way? If it makes sense, I'm trying to think if I asked it right. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, I don't know, to be honest with you. Sometimes things just happen and you're probably in the right spot at the right time. And, and Leica approached me uh, and the people that I worked with at Leica were fantastic. They were it was a phenomenal group of people here in Leica, Australia. Um, and I still keep in touch and, you know, I've been doing workshops with Leica, Australia. And, and um, I, I just, I couldn't say enough kind words about how they operate and how they've operated and with me and, and what they've done. But it wasn't, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't go out looking for it by any means. Um, and even when I was approached, I was pretty honest to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who shoots pretty much all film. And, um, and so, you know, if you're asking me to do this transitioning cross, I think I can do it, but it's, there's going to be a bit of a learning curve in this using digital files and, um, and it was a bit of a learning curve, kind of, you know, making that transition across and really shooting and using digital ultimately for the first time. Okay. Well, congratulations. Like I said, many people always aspire to be a camera brand ambassador. So that's a pretty high honor. Uh, hopefully one day I'm approached. Um, however, if I'm not, then I will not lose any sleep and I will still continue to use Leica. Uh, but just goals that I set for myself. So, um, when did you choose Leica and why did you choose Leica? Um, I've, I've, I mean, I've shot everything you could possibly think of and especially film cameras. And, you know, where I was talking about before going back sort of 15, 20 years, um, when stuff was really dirt cheap, mm-hmm. 
I would try anything and I'd try all sorts of different combinations and, and I've kept all those cameras. So I've got, you know, sitting beside me right now, I've got boxes and boxes of film cameras that I've been used over the years of all different brands and types. Um, and I'd always wanted a, a Leica. Uh, I kind of had my sight set on a, a few different types of Leicas and, you know, it, I'll be honest, there was it, it, a lot of it was money. There was just never a point where I could drop enough money to, to buy an M6 and uh, and I always kind of wanted one uh, and so you know the the only like I could really afford years ago and bought was a, a like a three and that was my first Leica and I still have it still use it um, so the original 1931 like a three and it's got the VO um, H um, you know that see in World War two the mm-hmm. um, viewfinder on it and I've got the, the original Sumar F2 and then the, the Sumar on 3.5. And the Sumar on 3.5 years ago was a dirt cheap lens as well, but now it's, uh, it's actually not a cheap lens anymore. Um, but it's a, it's a beautiful little 35mm lens, and so I, I still use that, that camera all the time. So I think to answer that question, I, I, I'd always really wanted to shoot Leica cameras, um, and ultimately bought that specifically because at that time that's what I, I could afford and and now it's become such a part of what I do and the look that I get that I'm finding it hard to not shoot with that camera if that makes sense because no, you, you know it's it's you I'm so it used to it, it and it's, it's yeah exactly so it's I'm, I'm not gonna lie when I when I, I knew you were a Leica user but it's very seldom you see a Leica 3 user. <laughs> I have a Zorky, uh, I think it's a 4, which is a, a 3 clone from the USSR. I don't know yeah. how, how to use it. <laughs> I got it because of the, the lenses it came with for the L mount, and I wanted to use them on my on my M3 when I first got it, so... Uh, it came. It was pretty cheap. It was like forty dollars, and it came with three LTM lenses. It was the the fifty, a one thirty five, uh, and another one which was junk. So I don't have any more. But uh, I still have the Zorky. Uh, I don't know how it works, but I believe it's the same concept with the three, with with the knobs and the dials are are all on the side. So it's interesting. I always thought you were like a M six M three shooter until I was reading your your tags and I saw like a three, and I was like, oh. That takes a lot of skill. Yeah, and it, it's um, I mean, there's advantages to the Leica three still. It, it's tiny. Like the the Sumeron lens is, is a tiny, tiny little lens, and the Leica three is is smaller than the three Cs and three Fs. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you know anything about those bodies, it was before they built a solid construction body, and so they're still screwed together, but they're slightly smaller. So if you put a three or a three A. Um, or any of the twos um, beside the 3C or the 3F or the 3G, they're a smaller body. Mm-hmm. And so when you have that tiny little body and the, the tiny 35 mil lens on it, it's it's about as small as you possibly could get in the camera. But what I like about it is it still has a bit of weight to it. And so, you know, it, it's, it's not flimsy and, mm-hmm. and it's, got weight in your hand so if you're going to shoot at a low shutter speed it's not you know it's not bouncing all over the place you feel quite comfortable with it um 
And then once you get kind of used to using it and how it works, they're, they're actually very, very quick cameras. Um, probably not as quick as, as like a, you know, an M3 or an M6 or, um, any of those modern M bodies, but, um, but they do have the size advantage, definitely. Okay. Interesting. I see them all the other time. The other advantage on the street is they just look so old and old fashioned that people just don't even take it seriously. It's like, what's this guy doing with this weird old camera? And so it's, uh, yeah. Toy, toy camera. I do see them all the time in Tokyo, like just rows and rows of them. Uh, really affordable because uh, everybody wants the M's. So uh, maybe I might pick one up yeah. and just keep it as a collector. Just maybe run one roll of film in there just so I could say I did it. So, oh, yeah, I, I would probably look into that. Um, but now, well, a 3G, I think a 3G would be a nice camera. And a 3G came out at about the same time as the M3. And I think they were producing the 3Gs and the M3s at about the, you know, at the same time. Um, it's got a bigger viewfinder. It'd be really usable. Kind of three body. Okay, so if you had a choice between uh, M and M six or the three G or or three M six, <laughs> all right, <laughs> we got it. <laughs> no thought needed for there. Okay, all right. <laughs> exactly. All right. Okay. So I, I want to get into your social media now because that's how we connected and that's how I was able to contact you and link up and set up this podcast. Uh, so please plug your Instagram uh, and any other social media you like, Twitter, websites, anything you like. Uh, yeah, floor is yours. Um, so the only social media I have and the only place you're going to find me would be on Instagram, and it's at Knox Birdie, um, K-N-O-X-B-E-R-T-I-E. Um, and so if you, if you want to reach out and have a chat with me, that's the place to find me. Perfect, perfect. I do recommend it. Uh, you got to look at his photos. They're very pleasing on the eyes. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm going to try to pick your brain because a lot of this looks like it was shot on film. I have not seen this created. Maybe I haven't looked hard enough, but uh, your style of photography is very original to me. Uh, so I picked the photo and it's kind of a man walking, obviously motion blur. Um, could you describe the photo, how you took it, where you were, what do you remember about it, uh, and did you capture it how you envisioned? Yeah, it, I, the photo that you picked was, um, I can show it's you. a man walking through Martin Place. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's a man walking through Martin Place in Sydney, and for anybody who's not from Australia or from Sydney, Martin Place is... is right in the heart of the, the CBD and it's, it's, it's close to the financial district. And so you'd have, you know, people in shirts and ties working, coming back and forth throughout the day. That shot was on my way home from work. I kind of, I, I took a train um, to and from work in those days and popped up at Martin place to take a few shots because the light was good and, and it would have been sometime between five and 6 PM in the winter. Um, and if you know, Sydney, Sydney's a big grid uh, and, and so certain times of the year, the light shines straight through the grids and other times it doesn't. And at this time of year, you, you know that you're going to get light shining straight through Martin Place. Um, and so that shot was taken taken in Martin Place. And, and all that it really is, is um, I've got a neutral density filter mm -hmm. on the camera. It's shot on film. And uh, it would have been at a shutter speed of, of you know, a half or a quarter. 
um, something around there, and it would have been a, a 35 mil lens, and I would have been pretty close to the person. So I would have been, I don't know, probably two or three meters away from them, and uh, and I'm just allowing that person to kind of walk through me, but they're they're in the bright city light um, at that time, and so envisioning that specific shot, probably not. But envisioning that style, that's what I was going for. And that's really what I was trying to do at that time. Okay. So I honestly never really considered using an MD filter on film. And now I see it's possible. Uh, I guess I never really thought about it just because of how it, the film would expose. And you can't really check to see if you got it or not. I guess it takes a lot of practice. So uh, I have some practicing to do. So a lot of your photos are like this. Is this a, a style that you like to do? Um. Um, yeah, some of the photos, but this, this, that's one thing I do quite a bit. I do like shooting with uh, with the shutter pretty open mm-hmm. um, or pretty slow. And, um, you know, and, and seeing movement within shots, I find that, that quite interesting. And I, I like the randomness of it, to be honest with you, and you know, there's always on film surprises when you develop and you kind of don't know what exactly what you're going to get. I, I think it's, it's quite unique. Um, some of those are digital, so I, I did do some of those shots um, on the Q2, uh, and, and it worked pretty well as well. Just the exact same technique, same style. Um, I think, you know, one wasn't better than the other. Film has a kind of different look to how the whites appear when you blow them out like that to what digital looks like, but not better or worse by any means, just, just different. Um, so yeah, that's probably, that's probably the sort of the idea and the technique. Okay. I'm sorry. I just noticed you wearing a Chicago Blackhawks hat. Yeah. 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 Didn't realize you're from Chicago. Yeah. It's almost like I, uh, I did that on purpose. <laughs> Are you a Blackhawks fan? Well, I was when I was definitely was when I was a kid, but I'd have to say you know, I'm wearing this Blackhawks hat. But I'd certainly be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Mm-hmm. Having grown up in Kitchener, if you uh, you pretty much have to be a Leafs fan. Okay, all right. Well, that's just a coincidence. I, I seen it. I was like, wait, oh, that's the Blackhawks. Okay. So, uh, when did you first encounter street photography, uh, and what do you like about it, and what inspires you? Yeah, it's um, it, it, it's a funny one. You know, when you sent me these questions, I, I oddly, I, I've never really considered myself a street photographer per se. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose I do shoot on the street, uh, and and it might be described as street photography, but yeah, I'm not sure. And and, and I suppose street photography is a fairly loose definition as well. Yeah, but I think you know, shooting in the Middle East, I was shooting a lot just you know, in and about people, which now when I look back at it, although it was probably more documentary, it would be considered streets, although the, the street looks entirely different. Um, but when I moved to Sydney, I was I was supply teaching. Okay. And so I was all over the place. And, um, you know, every morning you wake up and you'd have a different gig at a different school and you'd be hard, was hopping on trains and going all over the city. And, um, and so that's really when I started carrying my camera with me. And a lot of these train commutes were long commutes. You know, I 
be switching trains and waiting or I'd be at some random station where it was like 30 minutes for another train to come. Um, and so it, it was, it was really then that I started carrying a camera and trying to get through, you know, film and then developing it at night. And so I, I just never really stopped doing that, but that's, that, that was really where it came from. And that was really the start of it, I'd say. Okay. Interesting. So, um, I'm hearing a lot of this now. Uh, is, there's no like right or wrong answer for it, but uh, I'm hearing a lot of people describe street photography that way. Is, um, they don't really like to classify it street photography, uh, but it kind of encompasses the whole uh, genre of what you're trying to shoot, right? Uh, so you, you kind of right. Like we just use it because it's not portraiture. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I I suppose, like, I don't know, labels are a funny thing. I suppose it doesn't even really matter. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I, I mean, I know and have lots of friends that specifically will go into the city and specifically shoot and are, you know, it, it's a street photography style where it's just something I don't do. You know, it's, it's, it's not sort of my style. Like, I take my camera with me where I go, I'm taking it to and from work, but, you know, very, very rarely would I be saying, okay, well, I'm going to specifically go out and shoot on the street. It's just not something that I, I spent time doing. Okay. No worries. Still like your photos. They're really good. Uh, great to look at. <laughs> so when you are on the street with your camera, how do you find something you're interested in shooting? Um, I, I think I, I'd probably shoot a little bit like a landscape photographer okay. where I, I tend to pick scenes that I find interesting and then wait to see what happens. Okay. Um, and so I'm, I'm probably less like the, you know, the person that wanders around and, and kind of hunts people down or follows them and things like that. I, I more find one spot, line up the scene, get the, the lighting perfect how I want it, and then wait to see if something unfolds in that situation. Yep. Um, and we'll often spend a lot of time in one spot and take a lot of photos of one spot to see if I can get specifically what I want. And oftentimes I'll go back to that spot again and again and again and again because I don't know, I take a shot and the body language isn't correct and the person who was in the shot and there's something that I can see or I didn't line it up right when I developed the film, I can see that it's not right. And so I go back and have another go at it. Okay. So when you find it and you find the scene, like, I'm really glad you said that, Rick, revisiting a scene, right? Because every day is going to be different, especially lighting conditions, like like you mentioned, um, different people, right? So you capture the image that you you were envisioning. Uh, what do you want that photo to say? Uh, that's a yeah, that's a tough question. Um, you know, all I think the, maybe the best way I could describe it is if you look through all of my photos, they're they're about the human condition and they're about normal people just trying to do normal things day to day. And it's, it's, it's always been my interest in, in just shooting that. Um, just that common daily struggle I find absolutely fascinating and I find it quite poetic and beautiful at times. Um, you know, how things line up in that sort of daily struggle and, and the people and the places that's, that's kind of what I hope to portray in that. 
Um, Sydney, if you know, it's, I'm sure it's a lot like you know student cities in Japan as well. It's an expensive city, and it's a city that's evolving and changing and moving very quickly. Um, and it's becoming a harder and harder city to live in because of cost. Um, and so I live, you know, eight or nine k away from the CBD, and I'm pretty near a train station. But a lot of the photos that I'm taking are people that are doing massive commutes and are passing by where I live on their way, you know, out into the western suburbs or southern suburbs. And um, and there's a certain body language and look to those types of shots because it's people that are working hard. Um, and and I think really important kind of people in the city and, and what they do. Okay. Have you ever had someone approach you and ask you what you're doing? Um, I have. Uh, you know, it's... It, I think it's happening more and more. You know, it's one of the things with COVID. I think people are a little bit more on edge. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, years ago, nobody would ask. It was just, it wasn't even that big a deal. But nowadays, it does seem to be that that people are a little bit more on edge. Um, It doesn't happen all that often to me, though. Um, I'm fairly discreet, but I don't don't hide what I'm doing. You know, the camera's at my face, and I'm Mm -hmm. taking the shot, and I'm pretty honest and open, and... And, you know, I'm honest when people ask me as well. And I, I think my best advice to anybody on that would be like, you know, just say hi and smile a lot. And <laughs> generally people think you're okay. Nice. nice, nice. So you're, you're the, the third person I've spoke to from Australia. Um, I would like to know, because uh, I heard Australia had like a really big lockdown. I think it was like 260 days. How did that affect you in your photo making? Um, well, Melbourne had the, the big 260-day lockdown. Like they had the big, big lockdown. We were locked down here in Sydney for about four months. Um, I think it was about four months off, three or four months all up. But it was, a, you know, it was a proper lockdown. And and during that period of time, you know, really you couldn't leave your house unless you were exercising or um and you weren't allowed to go outside of 5K within your area. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it it probably did affect, it affected the way that I, I was shooting because I wasn't commuting to and from work. You know, I was working from home at the time. And so I wasn't getting on and off trains. And, um, and I, I think also, like even now, I mean, we've got Omicron stuff popping up and the number of cases here, you know, you think twice about getting onto a train. So it's not, you know, it's, I don't want to be going and hanging around stations and hanging around on trains because I'm always just in the back of my mind thinking I'm just going to pick up COVID. Um, So I'm probably shooting differently just based on that. Um, You can kind of see, if you look through my Instagram account, you can kind of see the point where the photos are through the glass on the train more. And so there's a lot of shots where I'm just wandering down to the station by my house at night and sitting on a bench and reading a book and I'm not getting onto the train anymore. I'm just kind of like I'm shooting through the glass. And, and you know, I think that was a bit of like one of the positive surprises because I actually really liked some of those shots and how they turned out. Okay. So I noticed um, a lot of people probably heard me say this, but I'll repeat myself again because we haven't spoke before, but... Uh, I noticed during the pandemic, I started becoming uh, more interested in taking photos I wasn't interested in taking 
before the lockdown. Did you go through a similar phase? What sort of what sort of stuff? Uh, so, I typically when I started shooting in the streets, uh, I was always looking for people and candid moments. I never really stopped to do like still lives, um, pictures of buildings, little quirky things that people left on the street that I thought was like, okay, this kind of suits the scene. Uh, but because there was like not many people in the streets to shoot, I had to, I didn't have to, but I started finding interest in shooting those particular uh, scenes. Um. I never thought when I was younger that I would ever shoot pictures of trees. <laughs> I just thought, you know, there's not a chance or, or plants or trees or something like that. But I found myself shooting pictures of trees um, during lockdown. And some of those are up on my Instagram account. And um, what I what I started kind of noticing was fluorescent lights at night on trees. And, you know, the, the Sydney... You know, the, the vegetation in Sydney is pretty unique as well. And where I live is right on the Cooks River, which is, is basically a mangrove. And um, and it's got a sort of unique vegetation as well when you get right down to the river. And then you've got these, you know, these fluorescent lights on it. And so I started shooting that, which I'd never really shot. Okay. So for you, it was trees and me, it was everything else that wasn't people. I didn't get to the still life phase though, where I was setting up my tripod in my house. I was, I think I would have needed longer lockdown for that. Yeah. So I have a tripod, but, uh, I haven't used it in, in many years. It, I, I'm not that photographer. I prefer to walk. <laughs> if it's a little blurry, it's my fault. So how do you force yourself to make better photos? Uh, I was speaking to someone earlier and, um, essentially our goal as a photographer is to be better than we were the day before, a year before, and so forth, right? We want our photos to evolve, grow, um, become better. How do you force yourself to make better photos? Um, I, I, I think I, I get bored really easily. And so if I'm doing the same thing over and over again, I, it doesn't take me very long before I'm on to something else and trying something else that's completely different. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, I think I, I, I have a tendency to experiment a lot. And in experimentation, you find things that are fascinating. And I, I go out specifically with a philosophy that I try to shoot kind of rubbish and, and I'm not afraid to you know use rules of film and not one shot turn out because it's all as long as I'm experimenting and I might find something and then I really analyze what I'm what it is I'm doing and look for something in it. Um, and so I think in the failure and kind of pushing myself to just try different things, I think you find things and probably improve in that process. Um, and then the darkroom side is the same. You know, you you could kind of get into the mold of just using the exact same format over and over and over again to tone it into like something that's a style and looks perfect but I, I get bored with that so I start I almost start trying to like mess it up to see if something comes out of it so the experiment you referring to was that something like uh, again you were posting like on your Instagram stories where you're like oh I'm gonna try this experiment um I'm always looking to see what you come up with because your photos, again, are just, for me, I've never seen them, so, that particular style, so I'm I'm 
really interested to see the the outcome. Yeah, I, I I think so. Like that's kind of what I post on on Instagram, and and, and part of the reason why I post those things is because I'm sitting in a dark room by myself, and and you've got these time periods mm-hmm. where you're waiting for something to develop, and you just sort of stand in there listening to music, and so I you know I'll take a shot of what I'm doing and post that. Um, and so, and post the kind of process of what I'm doing, but yeah, it's always an experiment. And so I'm always trying different things. Like, you know, I give an example, you know, normally you throw a, you know, paper and a developer for a minute, but you know, I try leaving it overnight to see what it looks like in the morning. And, you know, I can tell you it doesn't look good, <laughs> but it's worth giving it a try. Um, or, you know, lately I've been, I've been playing around with taking digital files and then using my phone in the enlarger to try to figure out if I can can print straight from a digital file onto traditional silver gelatin, okay. um, and figuring out what the settings are that you need to set up in your phone to create a net negative from a digital file to be able to print off of it, um, and like the modern technology of OLED phones, the, the major difference is that. In the dark areas, the actual light is turned off, whereas the old iPhones, there was still like a blue light on, Mm -hmm. which would turn up on paper, and and it just looks like gray muck, where with the new OLED phones, you can actually create, you know, a a digital negative, and it will print black, Um, and and you can do some pretty... So I'm I'm playing around with that sort of stuff and just seeing what comes from it, and uh, and then I'm always playing around with chemicals at the end. So once you've created the shot, you know, what sort of toners and mixture of toners or bleaches that I can use to create a certain look from, from photos as well. You are a true artist. <laughs> I'm just really mesmerized by just listening to all these experiments. So uh, I do like seeing them. So, um, But what is something you learned that you think all photographers should know? Yeah, I go back to that Middle East time where, you know, I had the camera that I was using in those days. It was a, a Miranda F. And, and it was, you know, it came out at the same time as a Nikon F, very similar sort of camera to a Nikon F. Um, and so all that you have is just your, your shutter speed and your, your F-stop, and that's really it. And um, no, no exposure, no meter. Um, I think it was, you know, the blessing in disguise of that was I spent a couple of years shooting rolls of film with no meter and with a very, very basic camera. And what it forces you to do then is to think prior to shooting and then also analyze once you get the prints of the film back. And I think from what I see and when I'm out shooting with people that have only shot digital, um, a bit of that, you know, it, it's nobody's fault, but I think a little bit of that is lost because it's so quick to just look at the back of your camera and you just go trial and error until you get it to look like what you want. But I think very few people would understand the theory behind it completely and understand how to override the digital camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd say my advice on there for what it's worth would be to spend time with, with a really basic camera for a while, you can become better and you're going to become better with a, a modern digital camera. If you spend a lot of time shooting with something that's pretty basic. Yeah, I, I do agree. Um, 
I kind of went through that same phase when I went from digital to film. Uh, so I kind of I was kind of glad I went that route only because I understood it took me a little while. It took me years, actually, to understand, like truly understand the exposure triangle and how they all kind of fell into place. And uh, obviously the beauty of digital is you can just keep shooting. Um, so the many years I've had practice with exposure when I finally decided to give film a try, I understood uh, what settings I needed to get a, a decent exposure on the film. But when it came to composing and actually taking the shot, that's where I learned a, a little bit more patience. So uh, I, I do agree. Use a basic camera for a, a little while. Yeah, like I, and, and just to expand on that, I, exactly what you're describing, that was... Yeah, I remember going through that clearly and really trying to figure out that triangle and understand how it all affects what the impact on the images are. And then once you get really comfortable with it, understanding then in certain lighting situations, how you then alter that so that, you know, you get a portrait where, you know, the skin tones are rendered correctly rather than the background being rendered correctly. And I, I still see that in the digital era that, we rely very heavily on the computer and the computer is just reading 18% gray and it's just going to read the scene. And so like the most common mistakes that I see probably in, in most photos is that, you know, the background's exposed correctly, but the people aren't mm -hmm. or the people on the background is it's you know, so it's, it's, it's probably an understanding of how to override that to make a digital camera work for you rather than the other way around. Okay. So now I'm going to ask you, do you have any tips and tricks to expose people properly? Just feeding my curiosity. Um, yeah, I do. I, I give this would be my one tip. Um, it was a friend of mine who was a wedding photographer taught me this, and I've used it every single day I've ever shot since. And I, If I was going out to shoot right now, I'd use it again. Um and he was a guy that came out of the film era as well. And, uh, and he used Ansel Adams, you know, zone system. Yep. And, and what in Ansel Adams zone system, depending on, you know, a, a person's skin tone, you're going to be roughly at usually about plus one. Um, and so ultimately if you're shooting, what you can do, if you, especially if you have a camera with a spot meter, which all modern digitals tend to have, mm -hmm. is if you use the back of your hand and put it in the same light as people and then set that to plus one on your camera and then shoot the person, you got the person dead on correct. Okay. And so often I'm walking around and it looks like I'm shooting the back of my hand. People are probably thinking I'm nuts because I'm shooting the back of my hand, but I'm actually just trying to get my hand into the correct light, yep. the same as the people that I'm shooting. And then I just set that to plus one on my camera manually with a spot meter and then shoot the scene and the people are going to be rendered pretty much dead on the money. Nice. Okay. Uh, I was going to say the hand trick. I heard that from Joel Meyerwitz in one of his... Masterclass videos. He does something similar. Uh, yeah. Oh, actually, he does identical, but he, he didn't reference Enzo Adams. So maybe that's where he got it. Uh, but thank you for the tip. Um, a lot of people may not have known that. So they will, are now ready to expose people properly. So 
What challenges have you faced during your journey in photography? Um, not a lot, to be honest with you. I, I, I think it's it's how you view photography. It's it's for me. It's never been a pursuit of making it a gig. Um, it's never been a pursuit of wanting to go out and specifically become a famous photographer. I've always seen this as a very personal experience, almost like a diary um, that I keep and I, I use. And and I, I think because of that, I, I've, I've kind of kept going because it's always been personal and it's I've never been overly frustrated um, for that reason. Um, where I, I could imagine it would be frustrating if, if you know, if, if your work's not getting seen or whatever and, and you're really trying to get seen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, not a not a whole lot to be fair. Um, I did work. I worked professionally as a photographer for a period of time and shot very very different stuff to what I'm shooting now. I shot a lot of food photography mm-hmm. um, and shot for a few magazines here in, in Sydney. And, and I stopped and I went back to teaching simply because I hated it. <laughs> and um, can't say I hated it. Um, I actually really enjoyed it and enjoyed the experience of doing it. But I started hating going out and shooting afterwards and doing personal stuff because I was exhausted or sick of photography by that time. And so it made a lot of sense to, I, I really kind of lost the enjoyment of my personal projects, which is where my my passion ultimately is. Mm-hmm. Um, probably like most people, I'd say my biggest obstacles and frustrations are just time. You know, finding time to get out and shoot. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's about it. It's time. You know, if I could have as much time in the world to just shoot every day, I'd love that. Yeah, definitely. I wish I had about four more hours specifically just to shoot photography. And then every, all the other time would just be my normal day-to-day activity. It would be great. But, so I'm curious, cause I hear a lot of people say well, whenever they do like, like their job, their profession in photography, like studio portraiture and now hearing you say you were doing like food magazines um was it that you didn't like that people controlled the outcome of your photography in in those aspects no to be honest with you i actually really i only did it for a very short period of time and um and and had a bit of success with it with it you know the work was getting published and and it was you know it was it was a really good opportunity to be able to do that and see what that side of the business is like and I actually enjoyed taking the shots because although it's so different to my style, it's still light and it's still controlling the shot. And it's still, so just the, you know, the, I still found the whole thing sort of fascinating. Um, so you, no, that, that didn't bother me. I, I wasn't overly attached to the work though. So when somebody would crop in on it or say you want this or that, it just felt like it was feeling like work to me. It was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. I can sort that out in that way. I didn't feel any over overly personal attachment to that style of photography, so it wasn't it wasn't a big deal for me. Where with my personal work, if somebody came along and said, "Hey, I think you should shoot in this way," or "I want to crop in on this shot here and there," I think that would bug me. Okay. Um, where with that, didn't so much. I'd say. All right. Sorry, I had to turn a little bit of light on. It's getting dark here. Um, so, where would you like to be? A year, 
10 years, 20 years in the future. The time is just an example. Uh, but where would you like your photography to be in the future? Uh, good question. I, I I think now with the work that I'm doing in a, in a dark room, um, I want to continue with that. I'd like to produce books. Um, you know, I've got quite a back catalog. You know, there's only a few shots up on, on Instagram, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of work there and I, I, I'd love to, I'd like to work on, on producing a book. Um, and, and continue to, to probably exhibit work as well. I've, I've exhibited work a few times over the last year or two, probably less during COVID. And I really enjoyed sort of that process of doing that and seeing work being displayed in that, that sort of way. Um, and then just, you know, I'm, I'm also just exploring personal projects as well. I, it's, it's, I'd say that's where I see it going. Okay. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned projects. Um, do you have, I know you just said you're working on some, but um, are you close to producing any, um, is it going to be physical, digital copies, any bodies of work for the public to see in the near future? Yeah, I, I think with the with the prints that I'm working on at the moment, the idea is to to narrow those down and um, and get them to the point where that's a, a solid body of work, and then create a book from that. Um, and it would be a physical book that I'd, I'd sell. Okay. But it's it's right now I'm just in that process of of making the prints and finalizing the prints, and then um, you know I want I want it to be a, I want it to be about the black and white prints and um, and a bit of a retrospective of, of you know my time here in Sydney and the stuff that I shot okay so what can, what motivates you to continue making photos um, I, I still get excited by you know what I was describing where you know when I like getting out and shooting and and I still get excited by the process, and I, I I always think the next shot is going to be the most amazing shot in the world. And so every time I go and shoot, I think, wow, this is going to be the day that this like the, the best shot I ever got is going to pop into my camera today, and it's, it's going to be great. And then I still get a little, and you know, you develop film, but there's that moment and you know exactly what I'm talking about where you develop the film, you go through the washing process and you pull the reel out for the first time and you slide, slide the film off the reel and you look at it in the light and you just go, ah, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Is it going to work? And, you know, I, I still get the same excitement from that that I got the first time I did it. And I don't think that will ever leave me. And, um, and then the dark room is the same thing. You know, that process of, of, uh, making that print, but the dark room is a little bit different as well because the dark room is a meditation. You know, it's it's a time and a space. You're in the dark and it's methodical, and you've got to work in a pretty scientific way. And so it forces you to just sort of relax and and it, it's a unique experience because you've got to think about what you're doing, so you can't be thinking too much about other stuff. So it's it's a nice, it's just a nice way to relax as well. Yeah. So I I don't. I'm, okay, so it's a love-hate relationship when it comes to 
to developing film for me. But just listening to you say like your passion for it just kind of making me want to just start developing some more film again. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I just, I don't like how long it takes, honestly. that That's it. I do love the process. I love how I can control it. And y- you're the master of it, right? So if you want to shake it, you get a different result. So uh, I, I love the process. I just hate how long it takes. So, but yeah, listening to you is just, man, I'm going to put my Kodak AC-110. Do you use HC-110? I, I use Rodinol for pretty much and I always have and so rod and all is sort of the one developer i use okay i wouldn't know where to buy it uh that's probably the other reason why i stopped developing my film is trying to source the chemicals all the way in or- okinawa i can order them but it just it takes a long time to get here you know there was a period you know what i, what I was describing before like there's a period of time here in australia where um it was getting harder and harder to get your hands on stuff mm-hmm. and um Rodinol, uh, they they changed um, ownership and, and it wasn't getting supplied here to Australia. So being from a chemistry background, um, I just made it and I still make it. And so you can make you can make Rodinol. I think what people don't may not re- realize it's a really old developer. Like it goes back, you know, it goes back. I don't even want to know. Like probably eighteen hundred something like that. But it's. Um, it's basically just paracetamol, drain cleaner, and um, and uh, a bit of this kind of like this brewer's um, this brewer's stuff that you can always get from like beer factories. So the guys in the Second World War would have been able to make this stuff off of some basic paracetamol and drain cleaner, and uh, and then develop film in a in their helmets or whatever they did. And you know when you you make it yourself, it, it it's identical to the stuff that you bought. Nice. That's the, the benefits of being a chemist, right? <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll mess around and I'll start an explosion. <laughs> so of the places you've been, where's your favorite place to shoot? Um, I would love to. I didn't shoot. I hadn't started shooting when I lived in London. I'd love to go back and 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 shoot in London again. But like all things, you can't go back to a time and a space, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and it would be different. But in my 20s in London, I really wish that I had a little like contacts T2 or T3 with me in my pocket everywhere I went um, because I was out and, and doing stuff and out and about and in clubs and parties and this and that. And I... I my one regret is I sort of wish I had a whole body of work that was just film shots from that era um, that I don't. And so that would be the one. If I get in a time machine, go back there and shoot, I'd love to do that. Okay. Um, I'd like to go back and shoot the Middle East again, to be honest, because it would have changed so much, and I still think it would be pretty fascinating. So uh, if you do ever go back to London, you would have to link up with a, a really good friend of mine, Don Stevie. Um, he also likes to do slow shutter speeds, but with flash. So I think you okay. will we'll get along very well with different techniques and just, uh, he's a great photographer just to walk around with. Um, he's at Don Stevie street on my Instagram. So if you, you look him up and okay. uh, I'll give him your contact information. You can exchange some messages. Great person. Great guy. Great photographer. 
So, um, but yeah. All right. If, say, an up-and-coming amateur photographer in Sydney, Australia, approaches you for some advice, what would you tell them? Um, I would tell them just to, to shoot a lot and, and not doubt yourself. And so I, I can remember, you know, being alone <coughs> with a camera and shooting a lot and developing a lot and, you know, nobody's seeing you work and nobody's looking at it. And, and you think, well, what am I doing this for? And there were many moments I can remember early on where I'm like, why am I even shooting? What am I doing? And, and, and so my best advice to people would be just, you know, stick with it, but stick with it in a way that it's, it's, it's because you love it and it's your passion and you're shooting how you want to shoot. Don't worry too much about whether it's, you know, it's getting likes on Instagram or whether somebody likes your work or this or that, you know, develop your own style and, and go and find what it is that you want to see. Um, and I, I, I think whether you're, you know, financially successful, famously successful, I think you can be successful regardless simply because you're shooting what you want to shoot. So I'm glad you said that. Uh, normally I do ask about social media, but I try to stay away from it sometimes because I get caught up in, in a, a, a resentment for it. Uh, but I do want to ask because that, that part where you said you shoot and you kind of get discouraged uh, by the likes and the follows, I kind of feel like social media is to blame for that, for that instant gratification. Uh, what's your opinion on that subject, I, I I think it's a big, I mean it's a big thing and it's a big topic. I mean you could probably do a doctor's degree on that topic and, <laughs> and some psychology behind it and how it's affecting art, media, and all that kind of stuff. Don't get me wrong, you know there's some really big positives to Instagram. You know I I think if Instagram didn't exist, I wouldn't have had any of the opportunities that I've had. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I wouldn't be, you know, there's so many things that Instagram has been great for. Um, I think one of the greatest things that it does is it, it's a mass leveler where, you know, there were gatekeepers in the world of photography where, you know, being from certain cultures or countries or places, you didn't have access for your work to be seen. And I, I think the great thing about Instagram is anybody from anywhere can get their work seen. Good work tends to rise to the top regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's noticeable. Um, the other side of it, though, it is an addiction. And when I think it gets to the point where you're shooting and you're thinking about likes and comments and whether that style of shot is going to do well on Instagram or not do well on Instagram... And Instagram then starts ultimately directing your style of photography. I think that's a big problem. Um, and so, you know, that's the balance. It's, it's trying to figure out a way, I suppose, to get out and, and shoot without being impacted by it in that way, which is a very, very hard thing to do nowadays. Yeah, I definitely agree. I've said it before, and, and I'll say it again. Like, uh, It took me a while to get past that part where I needed that instant gratification Obviously, when we first started Instagram, we we wanted those likes and those follows. Uh, But now, uh, I'm very happy with using it just to connect with other photographers. 
I rarely post any of my photos I take now, uh, only simply because, like you mentioned earlier, I shoot because I want to. I shoot what I like, and that's it. I don't need the instant gratification of likes and follows. Uh, so occasionally I will post, but uh, I'm not bothered by it anymore. Yeah, the other, you know, the other thing that I, I do, if I, if I find myself ever going down that sort of pathway where it's like I've got to, you know, you, you get kind of caught up in this, this thing, I look back through some of my favorite photographers in history um, and people who I looked up to when I first started shooting. And then I look at their Instagram accounts, and some of those guys have no followers, um, and nobody's looking at their photos. And these guys are some of the greatest photographers of all times. And then I look at somebody else who's getting, you know, 25,000 people are liking their photo, and they got 700 comments on it. And then nowhere near as good as those guys. Um, and so, you know, it just some it, it reminds me that it's not what it's about. And there's, you know, the it still is and it should be hopefully about the photography um, and about the passion for what you're doing. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, social media, good thing, bad thing. Use it for whatever you like, right? So I think you, you, you raise a really good point though. Like the, 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 the best side of the whole thing is the connections, um, the amount of people that I've met. And, and I think that's the positive side is I've just met so many great people that are like-minded, uh, you know, have chats and people that I've met through Instagram that I would consider really good friends now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Instagram, for allowing us to connect. Uh, I think the DMs were probably the best addition to it many years ago. So, uh, yeah, we, we enjoy that feature. Now, if you can go back to day one, when you seriously got into photography, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I would probably say, I'd, I'd probably just reassure myself that, you know, the path that you're taking of, of continuing to do what you really love doing, don't, don't sway from that. Um, don't get caught up in trends. Don't get caught up in what other people are doing. Don't get caught up in the latest technology um, or into any sort of like gear acquisition syndrome type stuff. Um, just stay the course in, in what you really truly love in it. I, I think I think there have been times, and I would say this honestly, where you know I've done that really well, but there's other times where you get like everybody else get caught up in I need this camera or I need this or I need that or I need to change my style so it's more like this like you know so I'd probably just reassure just do what you want to want to do and love doing what you do okay I like asking that question and the reason is because so I, I asked the first one what advice would you give to an amateur up and coming and then what advice would you give to yourself and it's never the same advice so I, I was always curious why it's different but you know it's 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 interesting to hear how you would motivate yourself to continue down your own journey as opposed to motivating someone else to start theirs so yeah it was just, it's just something i thought was really uh interesting task so but thank you for sharing
So now is we're pro- we're, we're kind of wrapping it up now. Uh, and this is the part of the podcast where I like for my guests to uh, recommend other photographers, artists, um, musicians, whatever, whoever you would like. Uh, typically, I try to aim for the not so famous people like the Joel Meyerowitzes, the Elliot Erwitz, the Ralph Gibson. So uh, anyone you would like to recommend, uh, now is the time to do it. Um. You know, my, my biggest influences probably would be from, I, I would say, reading and books. And I'm almost always reading when I'm when I'm shooting. And so I, I would probably recommend, you know, I, I, I've said this many times to many people, but I, I absolutely love George Orwell and I read all of his books multiple times. And so that would be... One of my recommendations is is not so much go and read George Orwell, but but be inspired by other art forms okay. um, and inspired by other things because it will. I think it it moves across into how you shoot and and, and how you see the world. Um, so that's that probably would be my biggest recommendation there. Okay. Um, I, I'm not I'm not a guy who's you know overly into following photographers, photography books, and it's so probably not the best guy to, to, to recommend. <laughs> no worries. Huge uh, amount of people there, sorry. No, 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 it's okay. I, I ask everyone, um, and this is pretty much how I came across you, um, just recommendations from other people. Uh, actually, I, I came across you, I think, because we follow Ben, um, but he recommended mm. me to talk to you uh, when I spoke to him. So it's just but you go. That's a good recommendation. Check out Ben's work. Ben's interesting because he's in in a, a lot of respects. He's kind of starting this journey and really sort of finding his what he loves, and he's kind of swapping between film and mm-hmm. and digital stuff. And um, and it, it's really interesting to see what he's finding with the kind of kind of film stuff. And he has a bit of an architectural sort of eye as as well. And so. I think he's an interesting guy to, to, to follow and just see how he progresses over time. Um, there's other street photographers here in Sydney. The guy I'd probably recommend would be Sam Ferris. Um, his Instagram is Ferris Whiskey. Uh, I, I know he's pretty passionate and pretty committed to it. Um, he, from Sydney photographers, he'd probably be the guy I would say. Uh, I probably spent a lot of time looking at guys in the past, um, probably guy who's not overly well known nowadays that I would recommend looking at is Ray Metzger. Um, really interesting light and shadow sort of work that people are into now that kind of goes way back in, in time and, and it's fascinating work. I was really obsessed with the development styles of Ralph Gibson mm-hmm. in the early days. Um, and so I, I know Ralph Gibson just recently because he's been doing Leica stuff, it's kind of he's had a bit of a resurgence in, in popularity, but go back through and look at his back catalog catalog work, sorry, and it's it's phenomenal um work to look at. Um from the subway stuff, I've always been really you know, influenced by Bruce Davidson mm-hmm. and um, you know, that's probably getting into more of a, a famous photographer. Oh, but always. They're they're, ins- they're inspiring, definitely inspiring. Stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I, I look at, you know, I'm, 
I, I spend a lot of time looking at art and the coloring, you know, and the way that artists are a lot of Francis Bacon. Um, you know, I've got quite a bit of Francis Bacon sitting here in the dark room with me right now. Um, I find that really interesting. Um, and then movies as well, I think, is a pretty good inspiration mm-hmm. for photography. To okay. I've been watching a lot of, uh, like, biopics on photographers uh, the last one i saw was uh called life it's the um, mm-hmm. story of dennis stock when he was shooting james dean okay so it's a really excellent movie i would recommend that to anybody who, who loves photography um definitely if you love photojournalism and uh, it's a good movie great movie that's great i'll check it out mm-hmm. So um, the last question I always end the podcast with, thank you, Craig Clark. Uh, and we, we kind of got how you feel about the term street photography, but this is uh, going to include the term. How, what does street photography mean to you? Yeah, it's, you know, it, it, I, I probably it's, it's similar to what I sort of touched on before. I think the, like the term street photography, I find it, a bit of a funny one because it's so it's just so so broad and what does it actually mean mm-hmm. um and so it crosses over into documentary photography you know it's it's it, it's sort of a term it's sort of a label and so I'm, I'm not sure to be honest with you and i i think i, I think there's probably certain types of looks and styles of photography that I think people would really assume is kind of like true street photography. And I can kind of picture the photographers who shoot that sort of way, but I think it's way broader than that. And okay. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really not sure. I suppose to answer that question, the way I would answer it would be to just say, uh, I, I think in terms of shooting, shoot your ICs and not what a label is. And regardless of whether it fits into street photography or not, I, I've always kind of thought I, I don't actually really care. <laughs> so, uh, no, no, I, I agree. Um, and just speaking with so many different people, uh, everyone shoots differently. Uh, I like asking the question because everyone sees it differently. Uh, but again, it's it's just to kind of see how you envision, how you feel, the feelings of just shooting outside in the open. So, but yeah, but thank you for that. You know, the- the one thing I, w- I would say, and I'd add to that, which I find fascinating, is it, it's it's become a lot trendier. And you know, I, I go back, and, and as I'm getting a bit older now, the when I first started shooting, you know, go back 20 years ago, I'd go out on the street, you would not see any photographers anywhere, and even the term street photography was like it wasn't even a thing. Um, and now I go into the center of Sydney and on, I, I can pick the street corners and I can almost pick who I'm going to see on the street corners. Like I, I know who's going to be around. I know who's shooting. I know who the guy, like, you know, and I can imagine that's the same. And, you know, if I went to Tokyo and I imagine that's the same as if I went to New York city, um, you know, it, it's become, it's really, a, it has become a thing. And you know what? I, I think that's kind of cool. You know, it's, it's cool that it's become a thing and that so many people are doing it. And there's an interest in, in photography. It's, it's, I find that bit of street photography kind of fascinating. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, you definitely, when, when you know the street photographers and you're in the area, you know where they're going to be uh, and where they will be. So 
Definitely. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, again, that's always my last question, and that's where I wrap up the podcast. Uh, but now, if you have any questions for me, feel free to ask, and I will answer the best I can. Um, I, I suppose the thing after chatting with to you for an hour is, you know, just throwing it back at you. Um, where do you see yourself going? So I, I want to get more into printing. I want more um, of my photos actually physical instead of a digital space. Um, I don't know. I, I just love to look at a printed photo now. Uh, thank, uh, I spoke to a couple people and they say there's nothing like having your work printed. And just by listening to them, I kind of followed and I agree. Uh, so I do want to print more of my work. Um, Beside photography, uh, I want to focus on this podcast, um, and I just want to keep delivering something for the photographers. Um, I'm trying to build a community where essentially everyone knows each other, uh, and it's it's growing. So hopefully, my goal with printing, making a book, and growing my podcast. That's great. Yeah. Good luck with it. I'm I'm sure it'll be successful. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, support. <laughs> thank you for the support. And uh, I hope it's as successful as, as I would like. Okay. Uh, anything else? Uh, no, that's, I think that's, that's about it. Um, is there anything else you wanted to ask me? Uh, no. Uh, I got some really good content, and if I do, I'll, I'll just message you on Instagram, and we can chat there. Uh, but again, thank you for your time. Um, great work. Uh, I love to hear how you said a lot of the stuff you said, and I'm sure the listeners do as well. So thanks again, everybody. Thank Max Birdie, uh, and then everybody have a great day. <laughs>